right? I think we're there. I'm good? Yes, yes, we are good. All right. It is my privilege to be back here at South again. I was here uh, in July filling in for um, Glenn, and I look forward to sharing with you again. We were in the book of Philippians, um, Philippians chapter 3, and I don't expect you to remember that. That was a whole month ago, but uh, we'll be looking back in, or coming back in Philippians again, and so if you do have your Bibles, you can open up to Philippians chapter 1, and that's where we'll be at this time around. Uh, when I was here back in July, I um, mentioned to you that uh, I, I lead, have the privilege of leading tours to Israel, and I mentioned that, and so I'll mention it again. Um, I have a couple of brochures with you, and so if you're interested, please talk to me afterwards. I'll hand you, give you a brochure. And I happen to have a couple of experienced travelers with me uh, who are here, uh, friends of mine, and so if you want to know what the tour is like, uh, you can talk to me or you can talk to them, and they'll give you a more honest answer. Uh, rather than just talking to me. And so feel free and I'll introduce you to them afterwards and they can give you a, a, a first-hand idea of what it's like to travel to Israel with me. And so um, uh, it is such a blessing to be able to go to the land, um, uh, the holy land, or whatever way you want to articulate it, the biblical land of Israel. Um, it's just a, a wonderful, amazing opportunity to just travel that land of um, where Jesus indeed did walk and... Um, we get the opportunity um, to go there. So that's just what I want to say about that and um, give you an opportunity to um, think about that. And so, yeah. Um, I struggle. I struggle with presenting this uh, message this morning. I, I, I was thinking through what it is that I struggle about. It's, um, it's someone mentioned to me just recently that... Um, um, they talked about uh, the idea of uh, understanding the message, the simplicity uh, that um, that they like the fact that, that I can make things understandable. And I appreciate that compliment because I, I find that to be a compliment. But at the same time, um, the reality is, is that uh, the person that we're going to talk about this morning that Paul was so incredibly deeply in love with and his life was transformed by is this one named Jesus... And I find him, I find him to be utterly amazing. I find him to be so difficult to actually communicate. Because um, you think of an artist, um, and rarely I, I believe an artist who either paints or or a potter who creates, or a songwriter who writes. I, I don't think they often do it in, in one straight line where they, they take their paintbrush and they paint and, and they do it all in one. So I think they often start and they stop. I think they get frustrated. I think the potter starts with their potter's wheel and they begin and, and then they, get, and they throw it in the corner because they get frustrated. I think the songwriter doesn't start with a song and then right away they just rarely do they write the whole song. I, I think they scrap it into a, a piece and they roll it up because they, they can't get it all right in one straight time. And that's a little bit of the way I feel about this message, to be honest with you. I, I find Jesus so amazing that I struggle with wanting the message to be simple and understandable, but I find him so amazing that that to paint the picture about him, he is so beautiful. He is so incredible that as an artist wanting to paint the picture of him, I, I struggle with making it simple and understandable because he's beyond that. And yet he is that. And so let's pray and ask God to help us to understand that he is simple and understandable, but, but he's so much bigger than that. And will the Holy Spirit help us to take that one who is so beautiful and amazing and huge and, and beyond all of our ability to understand, but the Holy Spirit can do that a miracle of helping us to take that which is beyond our understanding and by his miraculous ability make it simple and understandable for us. 
Let's pray for that. Father, you are amazing. And even the songs that we sang this morning, um, that one song, you are a good, good father. And in your goodness, we pray that you would indeed help us to understand this one named Jesus that Paul was so desperately, profoundly in love with that he wrote so much of the New Testament that his life was so transformed and he never stopped writing and he never stopped being amazed by and about this one named Jesus. That, Father, this morning that you would give us a little bit of a glimpse, that you would allow us to be wowed a little bit this morning, that you would, by your Spirit... In whatever way you decide, decide, God, that you would descend upon us by, by your spirit this morning and, and wow us once again in whatever way you want to, that we would just go, our God is just so amazing. And then you would just remind us once again of who you are, that you are the amazing one who sent his son in Jesus. That Paul was captured by the one named Jesus. That we would be captured perhaps for the first time or recaptured this morning. And that we'd walk out of here with a fresh amazement today of Jesus. And we ask this in that name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Uh, Earlier this year, um, in the end of February, I was uh, down at, I worked for an organization, um, a group of churches, and and we were doing something we'd never done before. We were um, uh, gathering together new pastors uh, to our our organization and um, orientating them to our our association. They weren't necessarily new pastors, they were just new to us, and so uh, we were doing an all-expense-paid trip for them, which, of course, was the only way we could get them there because they weren't going to pay for themselves. And so uh, our national board had decided that we would pay for them. They're coming from all across Canada. And so there's 14 of them in total. And, and so we bring them down to uh, Ontario to uh, a camp that we own. And, and so we paid for them all to come down. And, and so uh, um, it was a, 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 an experiment. We'd never done it before. And so uh, it was, uh, they were happy because uh, we were paying for their expenses. And so we flew them all down, and they came from all across Canada. And so uh, we got them there, and we had uh, three days of orientation for them. And on day number two, uh, I had a, a two-hour teaching session with them where I was talking to them. We were trying to get them to understand the DNA of what we're all about as an association of churches. And so uh, my job was to talk to them about uh, how we believe in the idea of discipleship and making disciples. And so that was important for us as a group of churches to let them as pastors know that this was important. We wanted them to understand that. that's what we really believe, that our job as churches is to make disciples. And we wanted them to understand how important that was. And so I had them for two hours. And so at the halfway time of this, we had a coffee break. And so the guys had been together for about a day and a half or so, and, and they didn't know each other. And, and so during the coffee break time, it was important that <clears throat> they just had that free time, and it was a 20-minute break. And, and so... Uh, <clears throat> They had just been slowly getting to know one another, and this was all great. And so after the 20-minute time, we called them back together, and I was to continue on in my teaching time. And so uh, I got back up to the front, and they were around the tables, the groups uh, together in tables. And so I got up to the front and started to teach again, and um, <clears throat> it wasn't really working. And so they were still having coffee. That was what was working. And so uh, they had coffee, they had uh, scones, they had donuts, they had stuff. And uh, I got up the front and I'm teaching and uh, they weren't listening. That's not the first time this ever happened in my teaching experience, just so you know. Um, They're chatting in their groups, uh, they're drinking coffee, they're milling around and everything's fine for them, not fine for me. And so uh, I just continued on and I'm just teaching at a conversational level and uh, nobody's listening. So I continue on, and they're still milling around, and, and uh, they're having a great time, which was part of what we wanted to have happen. We wanted them to get to know each other, so that part of it is all good. So one thing's working, the other thing's not. The thing that's not working is that my teaching time is going on 
but they're not listening to me. And so uh, I finally, after a while, thought, well, this isn't working. I might as well stop teaching because nobody's listening. So I just stopped and decided I wasn't going to bang my fist. I wasn't going to yell. I wasn't going to scream. None of that was going to happen. And so um, <clears throat> I just waited. Wasn't going to ring any bells. Wasn't going to do anything. Uh, and so after a few minutes of time, finally, one of the, some of the guys started to talk to each other and thought, we should probably listen to the guy who's up at the front. And so these are all pastors. These are all professional guys. They've been in the situation themselves reversed with someone else, them being the guy at the front, only they weren't at the front. I was. So finally, order was restored, and they all got back in their chairs and stuff, and I was able to continue my teaching time. I reflected on it later on, and I thought, you know, the thing about that moment... Um, was I think that God impressed upon me that I'm probably not that different in my own relationship with him. In that I'm pretty busy in my own schedule, in my own life. The title for the message this morning is um, Amazed at His Work. And if you got your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 1, um, the truth is, is that I'm not amazed often enough, and it's not because he's not at work. But the truth is, is that I'm not aware enough or sensitive enough to actually see what he's doing to be amazed. And so it's not because he's not speaking. It's not because he's not actually doing stuff. It's because I'm busy at my own thing, doing my own stuff, and, and I'm just not aware enough to actually see what it is that he's doing to go, wow, look what God did. Because I'm so busy doing my own thing. And so today, what I want to do is I want to unpack a few verses that Paul began to write and, and Philippians chapter 1 is just the start of, of uh, a letter that Paul writes to this church at, at Philippi and if you're new to this kind of stuff um, the book of Philippians is a letter to a, a group of people called uh, the Philippians uh, but it's to a, a church at a place called Philippi and Paul knew these people and so we're going to read the first six verses and, um, and like I said, if you're new to this, uh, this would be like a letter that Paul wrote to a group of people. It wasn't written in four chapters as we have it currently. It would just be a letter written out to uh, like a, a, a guy writing to a, a, a people that he knew, he cared about. He knew these people, he loved them, and he, um, he was in prison. So when you're going to study the Bible and you're going to read the Bible, context is really important so you don't pull things out and kind of go, um, here's what I think is going on. You need to understand the context of the situation. And so uh, there's a few things that we need to understand before we unpack these verses. Context is always critical. So the first part of context that you need to understand is that Paul's writing this letter from prison. Very, very important to understand. He's writing the letter from prison. And so he reminds these, these uh, people who aren't in prison which is really kind of important when you begin to unpack these four reminders that I'm going to give us. He reminds these people of four different things that we're going to see in these first six verses. And we're going to read these first six verses um, that I want us to understand and see. Um, and so you can uh, follow along as we read those. And uh, I'll let uh, my friend from the back there just going to go through those because I want to read through them from my own uh, Bible here as we go through from Philippians chapter 1 verses 1 through to 6. And so just follow along as, as I read. And remember, Paul's in prison. He's writing to people who aren't in prison. And um, the Bible, or the scholars tell us that uh, he uh, mentions the word joy or rejoice more times in this, uh, this letter than any other place in all the Bible. So you can read the Bible, uh, all the different 66 books in the Bible. And in this short little uh, letter... He mentions the word joy or rejoice more times than any place else in all the Bible. And remember, the context is that he's in prison. Interesting. Very interesting. So let's just read the first six verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy... 
because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Or no, we'll just stop right there. Okay, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 6. So we just want to go with those six verses. So there's four reminders in these six verses. And we'll just start at the very first. Reminder number one is that he reminds them who they are in verse 1. So let's just unpack that. They are servants, or the correct, under um, in the original language, the, the correct word of, that we've translated uh, servants is slaves. All right? It's a, a, a weightier word or a, a deeper word in our understanding from the English language. They are servants or slaves of Christ Jesus. So Paul identifies himself as that, and remember where he's writing from. So he could have said, uh, Paul and Timothy, servants or slaves of Christ Jesus, he could have said he's a prisoner. He doesn't. He doesn't identify himself as a prisoner of Christ, being that he's in jail. That would have been accurate. He was a prisoner. He was in jail. Well, he doesn't identify himself as that. He identifies himself as a slave. And by so doing, what he's saying to the Philippians is that he wants to remind them who they are. Because he, he isn't telling them that they're prisoners because they aren't. They're free. But he wants to identify them and remind them that they're slaves as well because they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants to remind them of who they are in Christ. Context, again, is important. Rome, where Paul was a prisoner and... Paul was a, a slave in the sense of understanding who he was in his relationship. Rome had lots of slaves, and it wasn't an easy position to be in. As a slave, Paul would understand clearly, and the Philippians would as well, was that they didn't own anything, rather you were owned. Paul identifies himself as one who was owned. Owned by who? The Romans? No. Paul was owned by Jesus Christ. He was a prisoner of the Romans, yes, but he was a slave of Jesus Christ. Very different understanding where he's writing from and who he's writing to, and he wants them to get this. Again, context. Slaves had no rights. They worked for their masters. This is what it was, and Paul makes it clear who his master was. But there's no sense of, oh, poor me, I've got a hard life, I'm a slave of Jesus. That's not the sense at all of what Paul is writing about here as he sends this letter to the Philippians. Why? Because Paul's life had been radically transformed by the same Jesus, and he was amazed by the work of Jesus, and so to be a slave of Jesus was an amazing privilege for Paul as he writes to the Philippians. Why? Because his life had been transformed. And he writes then to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. He identifies their relationship as well. So it's interesting that he says, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ, and I'm writing to you saints of Jesus. Interesting phraseology that he uses in this opening verse. Because I don't know about you, but I don't often identify myself by either one of those. A slave or a saint. Because I have days that I don't really feel all that saintly. But I am, biblically, a saint. But I don't necessarily like the other way that Paul identifies himself either, as a slave. Why? Because slaves don't have the freedom that I'd like to think I have. Why? Because slaves are owned by their masters, aren't they? Slaves have completely surrendered to their masters. And Paul clearly understands who his master is. I think we as Christians forget this pretty quick. Paul's life had been radically transformed by the same Jesus and he was amazed by the work of Jesus and so to be a slave of Jesus was from Paul's perspective actually an amazing privilege because of the work that Jesus had done in his life. And so it's not a, oh, poor me, I'm a slave of Jesus. It's rather, oh, wow, what an amazing privilege it is to be a slave 
of Jesus Christ because of what Jesus has done for me, Paul says. Now, turn with me if you have your Bibles quickly over to Matthew chapter 20 because there's this mom who does what sometimes moms are prone to do, looking out for their children. In Matthew chapter 20, there's a mom who makes a request. And um, it's when Jesus was walking on the earth and uh, he's got his disciples all together with him. And in Matthew chapter, or in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, it says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, she asks a favor of him. So just picture this with me. So here's the boys with mom. And she comes, and she comes with a kind of a good sort of first position it says she's kneeling down so good visual to start with she kneels down before jesus good starting point it doesn't go very good after that what is it you want jesus asks and she said grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom the position of kneeling was good but the request not so good. So Jesus replies and says, well, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Oh, we can, they answered. Well, then Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, well, you can imagine this. This is the 12 disciples who have been hanging out together, and two of them have sort of slipped in beside, behind them and, and have asked for the preeminent positions of authority, and they heard about it. They were indignant. I love that word. With the two brothers, and Jesus called them together. He's going to teach them a lesson. And he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercised authority over them now listen to this not so with you instead whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many wow what a lesson look at that picture again Jesus himself says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. What a great picture Jesus presents and actually lived out the rest of his days and ultimately went to the cross with that picture in mind. He wants them to understand. I think that we as Christians forget this so quickly. This passage of our mom taking care of our boys shows us that Jesus wants us as Christians to be different in how we conduct ourselves here in this world. We'll always get the attention of the world in which we live by being servants, by following the example of the Savior who lived it out for us. I was visiting with a friend of mine, the vice president at Briarcrest College, who um, told me the story that um, he was, there was a storm coming and, and uh, uh, Briarcrest is right on the highway, uh, and uh, he was driving down to, to fill up his car with gas just before the storm arrived, and, and he saw this guy who was, uh, had a, a gas can in his hand, and, and there's no car, just a gas can, him with a gas can. And so as, as uh, my friend Ellery's standing there, and he's, he's filling up his car, he's thinking, hmm, that guy looks like he's got a problem. And so uh, he says this thought comes into his mind as he's watching this guy fill up his, his gas can with no car. He's thinking, uh, I sure hope somebody helps that guy. The guy goes in with just his gas can to pay for his little bit of gas he's got. Uh, Ellery finishes filling up his car, and then he walks into the, into the gas station to, to fit, pay for his gas. And uh, as he's coming back out to his car, he says the thought comes to him, and you wonder, where do these thoughts come from, right? And the thought comes to him, well, why don't you be the guy who helps the guy who needs help? And he thinks... Uh, I, yeah, uh, yeah uh, I could be. Because now the rain's starting to come and the storm's like 
not no longer on the horizon. It's now a full-fledged storm that's on the way. And you can see the guy because at, at Saskatchewan, the, like you can see for a ways. And he sees the guy walking towards the highway because he's obviously got a jerry can and, and just, you know, no car, right? So he's going to get, get find his car someplace down the highway. He's run out of gas. So my friend Ellery listens to that voice that says, well, why don't you be the guy who helps the guy who needs the help? And so he's like, yeah, I could be that guy. And so he turns his car around, guys goes out to the highway and rolls down his window and says, hey, do you need some help? And the guy says, well, yeah, my car is like several kilometers down the highway. And so he says, well, get in. And so he drives down the car, uh, the highway and he says to the guy, what happened? He says, well, he said, I misjudged how much gas I had left in my car. And so they drive a few kilometers and, and gets down there. And he says, well, I'll wait to see you and make sure that you get everything you need. And the guy says, well, I'm just going to fill up my car. So he fills it up, makes sure the guy's car will start for him okay and stuff. And then he drives back to his house and tells his wife what had happened. And he tells me the story. He says, isn't it amazing how sometimes we have those thoughts? I said, yeah, that is amazing. And I said, you know, as Ellery told me that story, I said, the world always will listen to us or will get the world's attention when we become the servants that God wants us to be. But they don't listen to us much when we want to be, as Jesus said, you know, the world always knows what it's like when it's always trying to climb the ladder so that more people are serving them. But when we are the ones who will be the servants, as Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to, or did not come to serve, but to be served. Or, no, did not come to, you know what I mean. <laughs> right. So, the first one, as we said on here, is he reminds them who they are. What are they? They're slaves or servants, is what Paul said. And so that's the first reminder. So, reminder number two. He reminds them about the message that they have, and that's in verse two. And so looking again, and he says, they, um, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The message that they have to share. He wants them to understand that they've got this great message. And I want us to be clear about this, that um, the message that we have is this uh, message of grace and peace. And it's not a message that, we get to share because of anything that we have done. Because it's uh, a message that comes, grace and peace to you, look what he says, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The message that Paul says is um, one that comes from God our Father. Now let's pause and think about that for a few moments. What Paul is sharing with them is a blessing that he knows he can't offer in and of himself. He offers it because of the relationship that he has with Jesus and because of the relationship that they have with Jesus. It's only possible because you and I have great, it's only possible for you and I to have grace and peace because of Jesus Christ. I'm sure you've probably heard that acronym, G-R-A-C-E, God's Riches at Christ's Expense. It's a, a little funny little acronym, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. We can even think of it as being trite, but it's not trite at all. It's actually rich with meaning, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Think about that. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the only way we get it. They're his riches, but they're at his son's expense. And so Paul says, I'm going to offer you grace and peace, but they come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he offers them as a blessing to the Philippians. Just let that sink in. Do we allow that amazing truth to sink in from time to time? That you and I have those two truths to offer each other that I can actually say to you this morning, 
Willow Park South, I bless you with grace and peace. And I can actually say that to you. And it's got nothing to do with me personally, but it has to do with the fact that I I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you can receive that. But it's not because you're a member of Willow Park South, but rather it's because of the fact that you're a, a child of God, that you can receive that. And it's not because of how good you are or how many times you've attended church or, or, or how religious you may be or not be, but it's simply because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life, that you can receive that grace and peace. You see, we can't manufacture those things. We can't religiously get those things by being good people. Only God can give us those things. I find that amazing. That we live in a chaotic world that we've been well reminded of in the last week or two. Both in our own country, in our own province, and in the country south of us. With the amount of gun violence and mass deaths. I don't know about you, but I need grace and peace to know that there's someone bigger who actually oversees this world that I can go to and bow before him and say, Father, I just just want to know again that you are in charge and I need your grace and peace. This morning this afternoon, this evening. Just remind me once again that you are the one who actually can give me grace and peace. Today I come and I bring that message to you that even in the midst of the chaos of the world in which you and I live, there is grace and peace available. In the midst of the chaos of North America, there's grace and peace available to us. That's amazing, I find. Reminder number three. He reminds them about this thing called prayer. About this thing called prayer. Look at verses three. He says, I thank my God. I thank my God. Um, and and how, look at how he thanks his God. This is the amazing part. Because again, context. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you, and I thank my God for all of you. I always pray with joy. I thank my God when I pray, and I pray with joy. Context. Where's Paul praying from? He's praying from a prison cell where he doesn't have any freedom to go about and do whatever he wants to do. He is in chains. But when he's in these chains, he prays with joy as he prays for these people. But when he prays, he thanks God. Do you, as, as the South Campus, and you think of each other, do you start off and say, I thank God? That's a starting point in our prayers. I thank God. That's a starting point. It's not I ask God. Paul doesn't start off by saying, I ask God. He starts off by saying, I thank my God every time. What a great starting point in prayer to start off with thankfulness. And then joy comes shortly after that. Wow. I find that amazing. Paul's in prison when he thinks of these believers and he can't help himself still. He thanks God. I don't know how complicated or how complex or how challenging your circumstances are. But I think this is a great reminder that Paul's circumstances were pretty dire, but his starting point is thankfulness. As he sits in jail writing to people who aren't in jail, he's praying for them with joy. We need to remember that we have much to be joyful about. And if we can't think of much to be joyful about, or we can't relate to that, then I invite you to, to take... I've read this book, I can't tell you how many times, but I can tell you how long it takes to read it. About 14 and a half minutes. 
if you sit down and read through the fourteen or the four chapters. So if you find life challenging right now or find it difficult or find your circumstance difficult, then I invite you to take 14 and a half minutes to read through this book and see if the Holy Spirit won't just maybe change your perspective a little bit and maybe just find some different things in life that God will say, actually, no, there are some things in your life that are reasons to be thanking me about. Reasons that I can pinpoint in your life where you will see that I am at work. Reasons that you will find that I'm worthy of being thanked because I am at work in the midst of your life. Fourteen and a half minutes. Do you think you've got time in your schedule to take those fourteen and a half minutes to read through? One of the key reasons that Paul says as we read why we need to be thankful is that he says here, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, for uh, all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, partnership in the gospel. That's one of the reasons that Paul says he's thankful for these people because they share his desire to get the word of God out. Um, just a, a few weeks ago, I was in Saskatchewan and, and for years I've uh, partnered with uh, Teen Challenge because I share in their partnership in the gospel of getting the word out. And uh, I played in their, um, um, their annual golf tournament, their fundraising golf tournament um, in Saskatchewan. And I've done it for years and years and years. And so I go back, I travel, arrange my travel schedule to go back there and, and did it again this year. And, and what I love about listening or doing that is that at the, the banquet after the golf tournament is that you get to hear the testimonies of these men as they share how God has transformed their lives. And these guys, often their lives have been in the gutter of gutters of gutters. Uh, as they have burned all the possible bridges they can burn, and they have, um, man, oh man, it's just amazing how far down into the pit of pits that they can get before all of a sudden something happens and they realize that they do need help. And so we listened to this 28-year-old man talk about how he had destroyed his life in so many ways, and then finally someone had said to him, you need help, and uh, well, many people have told him that over his years of, of him wrecking his life, uh, with his desire for drugs. And, and then finally, um, he, he finally realized that he couldn't go any further. And, and he said, yes, I need help. And he went to Teen Challenge, uh, and there he discovered once uh, who Jesus Christ is, and, and he surrenders his life to Christ. And, and I, I sat there, and, and you have tears come to your eyes at the understanding that, that these guys discover the goodness of Jesus and I have partnered with Teen Challenge for many years because I believe in what they're doing to change lives. And I listen to what Paul says here. You know, he thanks God because uh, of their partnership in the gospel. And I think, yeah, I love what Teen Challenge does because I will partner with them because they're changing lives. And I heard that story again of that young guy and as he gave his life to Christ and he's six months through his program and he had another six months to go. And, and he just... I said, it's amazing what God is doing through that ministry. And I walked away with joy knowing that we share the same Savior and we share the same message of grace and peace. And I rejoice because of my partnership in the gospel and what they're doing. And I echo the words of what Paul was saying here in Philippians. And we get to the fourth reminder. And the fourth reminder is that he reminds them and this is so beautiful that Jesus isn't done with them yet. He isn't done with them yet. And that's verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And there's, there's just a couple of things that I want us to be very clear about here. Um, very clear. Just so important that we see this. Because if you were to ask me what my favorite verse in the Bible is, this would be either number 1 or number 2. Philippians 1 verse 6. Because there's two different things that Paul says, uh, I, I, be, uh, I want you to understand, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be carried on to completion. Remember where Paul's writing from, context. He's writing from prison. He's writing to these people called the Philippians and he wants them to understand that I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Are you amazed? If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, are you amazed 
that Jesus began something in you at the day when your life was transformed. Are you amazed by that? Just recently, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit reminded me of that day in my life. When nothing to do with me personally, but my eyes were opened, that he did something that I couldn't do. That religiously, no matter what my background was or anything else, but in my heart, God did something that I couldn't do. And I, I, no matter how you talk about it biblically and and all the theologians and all the world can explain all that stuff to me, but, but there's something that just happened that my life was changed. Do you ever stop and just get amazed by that? That's Philippians 1 verse 6. That he who began a good work in you There's that transformational moment in your life when you give your life to Christ and he changes your life. Salvation. But there's two things that happen in verse 6. There's salvation. But then there's the other part of verse 6. Christ started a good work in you. But then he says, then he'll carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, we don't work or earn our salvation. It's something that only Christ can do. It's a miraculous work of God in our souls. And Paul says it's not an iffy thing. It's not like, gee, I sure hope it all works out somehow. No, Paul says, I'm confident. But Paul also says, God's not done. He says he'll carry it on to completion. It's not then once he started it, then it's just a free ride and it doesn't matter how we live. No, Paul says there's this work that goes on where there's this transformational process where every single day of our lives from that day of salvation to the day of either our death or Christ returns, the day of Christ Jesus, then there's this transformational work that happens and our lives are ongoingly transformed so that we would look more and more like Jesus every single day of our lives. And Paul, you can read through Philippians and and read through other works of Paul and different books that he wrote but it's this idea of this good work that he starts. And it's an odd balance there going in where it sounds like we work to earn our salvation, but we don't. But we certainly don't ever stop working to look more like Jesus all the time. So Paul makes it clear that he who started a good work in you isn't finished. The good work that he started is a work that he continues. So yeah, I'm saved, there's no doubt about it. However, there's much work to be done in refining my character to make me look more like Jesus. And that's a long, long process because honestly, I don't look yet like Jesus in the way that I should or can. Philippians 1 verse 21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so... He has this picture that every single day of his life, every breath that he takes, every moment that he lives, he wants to live solely for Jesus. That's the point of him being alive, is to live for Jesus Christ. Remember, he said he's a slave. Chapter 1, verse 1. Every day of his is solely for Jesus. Is every day of yours solely for Jesus? That's how Paul saw life. I found this picture of concluding this message came to me some time ago. Um, goes back to when my son was in kindergarten. Um, five years old. It was uh, field day. 
And um, he was excited about field day. He loved to participate in that kind of stuff. And uh, it was back in that archaic time when there was only first, second, and third ribbons given out. You got nothing for participation. And I knew that he wasn't getting first, second, or third. He was uh, a great participator, but uh, he was not getting first, second, or third. And so as I finished up my work in the office that day and was going over in the afternoon to, to go to field day, I was wondering how I was going to console him uh, as he crossed the finish line, not going to get first, second, or third. And so um, I was wondering as I got over to field day and getting near the finish, over by the finish line, because I was going to grab him as he got across the finish line and knew that he wasn't getting first, second, or third, how I could help him understand how the other kids were getting first, second, and third, but he wasn't getting any ribbons. So uh, I loved him and uh, adored him, but um, uh, just didn't know what the words were going to be of how I could tell my son uh, the other boys were getting first, second, and third, but he wasn't. And so um, I didn't have the words. I didn't know how to tell him that he wasn't getting any ribbons that day for running his race. And so um, the gun went off and the kids were all running down the field and I, uh, I probably borderline whispered a prayer that he would just not come in last. Um, and just so you know, he came in second last. Not that it really matters, but just so you know. Um, so he comes across the finish line and, um, and, you know, I just I didn't like those little kids who could run so fast. Um, and so they, they, they're handing out the ribbons, but just before that, he comes across the finish line, and uh, he comes into my arms, and he's got this big smile on his face. And he looks at me, and he, he doesn't care at all that he's, like, second last. And he looks at me and says, Dad, did you see me run? I'm like, yeah, I did. And I still don't have the words to know how to tell him that he didn't come first, second, or third. And then the next thing he says, he says, Dad, he says, I ran my best. I'm like, yeah. And I still don't have the words. And he's still smiling away like he is pleased as punch. And then he gives me this big hug. And that's all he wanted to say to me. And then he's just as happy as could be. And he gives you another hug. And, and then that was it. And I'm thinking through what he said. And I thought about it again later. Because he had it all right, actually. Because what he said to me was, Dad, did you see me run? And you see, that's all that he wanted. Dad, did you see me run? Because all he cared about was he wasn't competing against any of the other kids. He was actually competing for me, my attention. And then he said those second words, that I ran my best, which was true, he did. So think about that. Think about that. You see, you've got a heavenly father. And one of these days, you're going to finish your race here on this earth. And when I crossed my finish line of life, I thought a lot about what my son did and said that day. That when I finish my race, I want to get into his arms. And when I ask him that question and I say, Father, did you see me run? I already know what his answer is going to be every single moment of your life son I saw you run because you see he's got a lane marked out for me that he hasn't missed a moment of my life and I want to be able to say to him father I ran my best don't you want to be able to say that for him because, see, I'm not competing against any of you. It's not a race against anyone. You see, because I'm not running against you. I'm running for him. That's the way it works, people. Dad, did you see me run? I ran my best. 
because he's got a race marked out for me and he's got a race marked out for you. And he's not watching to see if we're against each other. He's only watching to see if we're we're running the race that he's got marked out for us. And every single day of your life, he hasn't missed a single step that you've ever taken. Think about that. He's never missed a step that you've ever taken. Isn't that an amazing thing? There's never been a step that you've ever taken in your life that he's ever missed. I find that amazing about my father. This God that we have has never missed a step that I've ever taken. Ever. I find that amazing. And so when I take my last step, I just want to be able to say to him, Father, I ran my best. I ran every step that I ran just for you. Don't you want to be able to say those words to him? He's worthy. He alone is worthy of running every step that we take just for him. He alone is worthy. Let's pray. Father, Paul just wrote these reminders to these Philippians. He reminded them that they're slaves, but they're not, oh, poor us slaves, but slaves because of the great work that Jesus Christ did on a cross for them. He reminded them, Lord, that um, we've got this great message of grace and truth, or grace and peace to share with each other. He reminded them to pray that um, we got so much to be joyful for and so much to be thankful for. And Father, you just um, reminded them that, um, boy, you began a good work in us and that you're going to carry it on to the day of Christ Jesus. And Father, I thank you for that reminder that Noah reminded me that every single step that we take is a step for you. And that uh, we're not running against each other. But we are mark- running out a, a race that's marked out just for us. And the steps that we take are steps just marked out for you. And that we can run a race that's marked out just for us. That we can say to you at the last step that we take, Father, I ran my best just for you. So Lord, as we now participate in communion and look at what Jesus did for us, Father, may we just be reminded again of the amazing work that Christ did on the cross for us and just remind us too of the truth that Jesus is so worthy of our attention. He's so worthy of our focus. He's so worthy of our love. And so as we hold these elements and then partake of them, help us to focus our heart and our attention upon this great one named Jesus. For we ask it in Jesus' matchless name. Amen and amen.